You're listening to the Remzo Republic. And there will be nobody that will touch us. Do you hear me, man? We're going to kick their ass. The following program is for mature audience. It may contain adult language, sexual content, and politically incorrect commentary. Listener discretion is advised. If we fall for... You know, a, a bunch of okie doke. Our enemies are innovative and resourceful. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. Oh my God! <laughs> are you ready? You are now listening to the Tim Price Podcast. We're live, live, and uh, joining me this evening is um, Remzo Martinez, and um, I think they reached out to us uh, maybe about a month ago, and we were just kind of, you know, chatting back and forth, and eventually we said, how about we just come on um, each other's podcasts and uh, have a fun discussion, and um, so I'm happy to have Remzo here with me tonight. Remzo, how are you doing? Tim, doing great. What's happening in Wisconsin, man? You're the only man in Wisconsin. That blows my mind. Um, me and Scott Walker. It's just you the and two Scott of us. Walker. Yep, yep. Just the two of us. Everyone else is abandoned to the state because they uh, they couldn't they couldn't take the cold. It's they like, took their cheeks heads with them. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Renzo, um, uh, tell people a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you? What do you do? And uh, why should people be interested in you? Because I'm awesome for one. No, guys, seriously, I'm I'm Remso W. Martinez. I'm the host of the Remso Republic podcast. I started this about a year ago. Um, for several years, I had been a blogger. Then I actually got involved in activism, and I thought my biggest way into actually affecting change in our community, state, and nation was through politics. So I started off with the Libertarian Party. I was a policy analyst. I was um, a volunteer coordinator, a campaign manager, and it, it got to the point where. You know, I saw a lot of my friends, even Republicans and independents who were trying to go up against this establishment machine. And, you know, the media was against them. Big money was against them. There, there are just there are so many ways to make change. And when you're constantly beating up against a brick wall, which is slowly like pushing you in like that, you know, garbage shoot from Star Wars, you, you start to realize that when you keep playing by everyone else's game, you're going to lose every time. When you have to go ask permission to do something from the people that are keeping you from doing something, you're essentially screwed. So I thought with the podcast, you know, alternative media is booming. I have the connections to start out. I have the drive to do it. Why not give people out there a voice to actually come on, express their ideas, their projects, what they want to do, and connect them with others to actually make a difference? And um, that's what we've been doing ever since. We had pretty successful season one, and we had season two start on January 4th, and we've just been hard charging since. And, I mean, man, it's... It's so much fun. I mean, I've seen so many people that were just trying to get an opportunity, come on, and now they're just absolute rock stars. From Marissa Hamilton to uh, so many others. I mean, it's just we we have the technology, not to steal from the three, you know six million dollar man or whatever, but I mean, we have the technology, we have the ability, all the knowledge to go out there and affect changes out there. It's whether or not we're going to take it that ultimately leads to the difference that we're going to make, and that's why I started the show. That's like oh, it's a good message, um, and that's what's one of the things that uh, that I love about podcasting is that really anyone can do it. 
You know, whether you're uh, just, I mean, there are some just god-awful, terrible ones where it's, you can tell yeah, someone. I don't know if you could see this, but I'm doing this from my dorm. Well, exactly. Yeah, okay, there that, are some really. That's re- just to make it look somewhat nice. <laughs> right. No. Yeah, somewhat. we can have that, but. Somewhat. Uh, but, like, other people will just, you can tell that they're recording through, like, their laptop mic. And, um, yeah. you know, so you can do it on a really bare bones budget. And more people are listening to podcasts than ever before. And it's, I mean, it's a growing media. If you listen to, or if you watch, uh, well, don't watch anymore, but Howard Stern. Stern used to have, you know, the top radio show in America. Now Joe Rogan has, you know, 90 plus, 90 million plus people listening to his podcast every month. You know, that's, that's crazy. So um, the technology is changing and it's, it's making spreading ideas a lot easier. And it's good that uh, there are at least a handful of people out there that are spreading the right ideas. Um, so how long ago did you start the podcast and, um, you know, how, how's it been going so far? You said you had a really good year. How's this season? This season? I mean, we, uh, we beat our entire, like, you know, uh, of all our SoundCloud downloads alone, because I like SoundCloud because I could just go on there any part of the day and just see my numbers. But, uh, we beat our all time SoundCloud download record in terms of, uh, you know, what we did last season. And now we just broke about 35,000 downloads, which is insane. Um, I mean, we, we've been doing great, but you know, I, I just kind of want to backtrack a little bit. You brought up that anyone can do this, but that's sad because that means anyone can do this. The guys that really put no effort towards it. And it's like, welcome to the Alex Jones conspiracy hour recap and all that BS. I mean, I, I wasn't going to go into this and put my name on it and do a crappy job. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a college student. Campaigns, politics, they, you don't make much money from that. I was right. an intern most of my early political career. I invested around $500 into what I actually needed to start the program. And, man, I, I was nervous. I had no sponsors at the beginning. I had a friend that gave me $50 to go and buy a microphone. And with that, I was able to flip the money. I had some friends that were willing to invest and be sponsors. And as of right now, the show is revenue neutral. Um, most of my money goes to pay producer Ryan and I, uh, you know, I don't kill what I eat per se. I put it right back into the program and, uh, whether it's music, whether it's just the software we need, whether it's, you know, the, the sound cage and other equipment that we need to actually enhance the listener experience. Um, you know, that, that's the thing about activism that scares a lot of people It actually takes action. It takes work and, uh, libertarians, we have such a terrible, terrible reputation for, um, being the dudes that go into something really half-assed. And it's really sad because we have the best ideas because they're peaceful, they're right, and they don't require force. So easily, once we get the right means of going out there and talking about it, everything should just come to us. Well, you know, it's not you can work two steps at once. You've got to actually put in the effort to make it good before you go out and talk to people or else no one's going to listen. So, I mean, that's been my challenge. And because I've actually put the effort into it, I mean, man, I, I went from just being a blogger and a guy who was helping a couple candidates try and make a difference in their community to doing this now. And I'm slowly growing. We've been growing by 5% every month. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And we're only going bigger. We're only going faster. And we're only going, you know, into crazy new territories every month. And I mean, it's amazing. And I'm proud of it. That's good. It's something to be proud of. You're building something and it's, uh, and, and all your efforts aren't in vain. You know, I mean, there, there are certainly, um, you know, days when, when I feel like pulling my hair out because of just the stresses of, of trying to run, 
you know, the podcast and the website and all of this stuff. And if you're not banging your head against the wall on a daily basis, you don't love it enough. That's that's just how it is. No, I, I definitely love it. It's a it's <laughs> it's it's fun. Now you said you're in a dorm, um, yeah. which is uh, too bad, but you're also at a pretty uh, unique and notable college, Liberty University. What's it like there? It's a beautiful, beautiful place. I absolutely love it here. It is odd because it is a giant conservative safe space. But, mm. you know, I, I think uh, I think the rest of the country gives us a pretty bad rep. Um, people that hate us don't know us. People that think they know us but have never been to this school or known anyone from this school uh, don't have a full opinion. I mean, Liberty, um, there are things to love about it. There are things to complain about. But, you know, in terms of a place that's really trying to generate the next generation of uh, Christian leaders in all walks of life around the world, I mean, Liberty University is a fantastic place. I, I don't regret grow- going here at all. I love it. That's good. Um, how does uh, do... I mean, you're not really a traditional conservative yourself. So, no. um, how do uh, how do you get along with conservatives on campus? Are they open to libertarian ideas, or do you get a lot of backlash? You know, it's uh, it's kind of odd. I say, if anyone's looking for their token liberal on campus, I'm going to be the closest thing. When I came here a year ago, because I, I transferred in my sophomore year, I got my associate's degree elsewhere, and then I came in here to finish off my undergrad. When I came in, I was a campus coordinator for Students for Liberty, and um, I knew that there was already like a Young Americans for Liberty chapter. There were already some libertarians on campus, but I mean, it goes with like that closet case persona i brought up earlier the guys that are a little bit conspiratorial the guys that literally put like no effort into anything uh libertarians did not have a good rep because you know they were the weird ones the crazy ones they still are Uh, yeah it really hasn't (laughs) improved because a lot of people don't necessarily know that they are the problem and when you say man you are the problem they're like no i'm not the problem and you know, when, when it comes to communicating libertarian ideas to conservatives, I think that conservatives are more closely aligned to us than, let's say, progressives, because you're only going to get a conversation to start with. I want to limit government with a conservative. You're never going to get that with a liberal, even when you know they take a different side on civil liberties. So, um, I mean, I have many friends who completely 100 percent respect me. Um, the only people on campus that ever really gave me a hard time were the Trump people and other libertarians. Other libertarians make it hard for other libertarians to get anything done. And uh, quickly I learned that, you know, being a a Students for Liberty campus coordinator was going to be rather difficult. Um, You know, things did not get any easier when I had joined the Austin Peterson campaign, because if you were not on the Rand Paul uh, bandwagon, I mean, you were essentially blacklisted. But, you know, fast forward about a year, with Gary Johnson and Donald Trump and everything else. It's like all those guys that hated the Libertarian Party and um, they hated the idea of Students for Liberty. Now they're going to ISFLC and they're wearing Gary Johnson T-shirts. And uh, now it seems like I've kind of pivoted more towards the right. I worked for a Republican, uh, Congressman Tom Garrett, back when he was a state senator running for Congress in this previous election. And um, you know, I'm contributing to more conservative sites and things like that. So it's like everyone kind of took a shift. But, you know, ultimately, I didn't change the way that I communicated libertarian ideas. Um, the concept is this. Everyone can be an ally if you treat them like a friend. And libertarians, they want to be openly hostile sometimes. I mean, I, I see it quite a bit with young people. They, oh, they always want to fight. 
if you always go into something fighting with someone, you're never going to make any friends. Everyone's just going to think you're a dick. So when you treat people like actual human beings and you try and have an honest conversation, um, you know, you, you can get people on your side. And I'm never out there to trying to convert conservatives to libertarians, but I'm trying to, you know, in essence, create less status to a degree, if that makes sense. Mm, no. What do you mean less status? There are a lot of conservatives that when, when you bring up an issue like um, here, br bring up a bring up a conservative problem that they have these days. What's a conservative? What's something uh, that conservatives often complain about? Uh, we don't like gun laws and gun control, and we were afraid that Obama's going to come and take our guns. So what we need is the right guy in government to make sure that he can pass the right laws to make sure nothing else can happen, right? Vote Ted Cruz. Right. Well, actually, I, I did like Ted Cruz. But, you, you know, the problem is a lot of people, they go to government for the solution. They're just like progressives. A lot of conservatives, they're just like, well, the government could do this. If we just had a good king, if we had a good king to take care of the people, we'd all be fine. No, what I try and make them do is I, I try and make them understand that, you know, it's never top down. Life is not meant to be government, fe you know, federal government, state government, local government, you. It should always be you upwards. And even then, you know, we have our civil institutions. We have uh, local community organizations. We have the local church. We have other, you know, organizations in which people voluntarily come together without force or, co without force or coercion. And they can get more done without, you know, having to coerce or force anyone. So it's getting this idea that we are the individual up and not the government down. That's where I'm trying to get them to, you know, meet me halfway at least. Because, you know, everything goes back to the individual. You know, Ayn Rand was what really pushed me to be a libertarian. And uh, even though I do not, you know, prescribe to her objectivist worldview, I understand that, you know, if we can just people to think of themselves as an individual, not just a cog in the state wheel, you know, we can get so many things done. I agree. I agree. And um, part of uh, the problem I had with Trump was that he was constantly saying, um, I'm going to uh, we just need the smart people in Congress. Like the problem is that we have idiots making these deals and we have idiots uh, in Washington. Well, we do. Um, you know, I'm not going to debate that. But, you know, the solution is not to get really smart people in charge of your life. The solution is to let each individual run their own life. Exactly. Because, um, you know, it's like that good king metaphor I brought up. E everyone just thinks that there are other people out there that are smarter than them that can solve problems. And sometimes that's right. I mean, if I had to choose the perfect government, I'd want people that were smarter than me. But you see right there is that that's the fatal conceit. That's what John Maynard Keynes even mentions in, um, in one of his first books. He's like, you know what? Every and I'm paraphrasing, so please excuse me, but every world leader, every important person in a position of authority, he's at the beck and call of an economist or another advisor because he even thinks there are people that are smarter than him that can solve things. And that's the fatal conceit. That's what comes of central planning when we allow technocrats to ultimately you know, centralize power and dictate the outcome and opportunities of our lives. And um, I mean, that's why freedom matters because you know, ultimately... You know, Tim, I cannot dictate your life. I don't know what's good for you. Only you know what's good for you. You know, and I, I want to be able to make my decisions, good or bad, whether I succeed or fail. So I think a lot of conservatives are open to that message. Um, it's communicating it, it to them in a way that allows for that conversation to move that way. 
that really helps out because when you speak to a conservative or when you speak to a progressive, you're ultimately, it's almost as if you're speaking, you know, several different languages because I can go up to another libertarian. I could bring up the Rothbardian incrementalist theory for, um, you know, societal changes and the non-aggression principle and blowback. But, you know, your, your average um, progressive probably has like a third grade reading level and your conservative who probably did get good grade in a civics class still thinks the government is the solution for most things. So it's identifying the worldview of these people, how they see themselves in regards to the state and how they talk amongst each other. Um, once you kind of understand the vernacular and you come in with that type of situation, um, I mean, that's how you get actual dialogue to commence. That's how community organizing works. First, you have to speak the language of the people that you're trying to, you know, organize with. And then that's where you go make change. Yeah, you're never going to, um, like, get a conservative to be a libertarian by just saying, hey, read Man, Economy, and State. You know, they're not going to do it. And um, That's like a nice way of telling someone to go to hell if you make them read that book. Hey, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go to hell. I, I mean— no one ever came to libertarianism by force. And I, I you know, I, I'm trying to stay off social media more and more often for my uh, sanity. But, you know, a lot of libertarians out there, they're just constantly posting, read this and you'll understand. Watch this and you'll understand. Speak like this and you'll understand. That's like, bro, that's not how you. That's not how you convert ever... people to your side. And it, and it, yeah, because and it, I, I was not. Oh. It's insulting, too, because it, it's it's almost saying, well, if you just read what I read, then, you'd, you know, you'd be smart like me. It's condescending in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up a conservative and, um, you know, it wasn't until I was like 17 that, uh, you know, I I began my transition to libertarianism. And that's how it is for everyone else. No one was forced to become a libertarian. No one said, oh, I read this one book and it forced me to become a libertarian. No, people. I think people become libertarians because they identify that, you know, both sides of the coin are giving the same terrible solutions to the same problems that we've been having for far too long. And the fact that they want to go out there and they want, you know, common sense solutions that don't require violence, that don't require theft. That's where you get people thinking. And that's where the natural progression goes, because even though men are fallen you know, we have a natural tendency to want freedom, whether good or bad. So I think people, once they get those, you know, cogs in their head gone going, they have a net natural tendency to liberty. And it's uh, finding that mechanism. And then some people are just hardcore statists that are, you know, you know, status gone to state. They, you just can't change them. But for those that you can, I mean, it's about giving them the opportunity to want to learn instead of saying you're going to learn. Right. Well, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Either either they can learn now voluntarily or, you know, uh, we'll have some kind of Alex Jones end times and they'll be forced to learn. You know, we'll have an economic collapse or something. And oh, my uh, gosh. I, I saw something on Infowars today talking about how Alex Jones would die for Trump. And uh, it was like a whole crazy, crazy. Rant. Wouldn't you? Know for him, that's an understatement. Wouldn't you die for Trump? For our president, you know, um, I, I would never want anything to happen to our president. But just the way that I've seen Alex Jones behave lately, is InfoWars state-sponsored media? It's not, but um, Alex has a, not, a, a yeah. clear, clearly has a hard-on for, for Trump. Like, clearly. worse than anyone else. Worse than Hannity. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, Lou Dobbs has been Lou Dobbs was trying to be his vice presidential pick for so long. And Hannity wanted a cabinet position. Yeah, he wanted Steve Bannon's sure? job. 
Oh, he wanted huh? Steve Bannon's job. No, he's yeah. Sean Hannity is no Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon. Yeah, Steve um, Bannon is actually smart. Whether you hate him or you love him, Steve Bannon actually has his own thoughts, and I don't think Sean Hannity does. No, I think Hannity would kind of just be a backer of whatever ideas Trump gave him instead of someone who would offer, you know, a, a, a different view on things. He would just be a yes man. <laughs> but, you know, that, that is, we actually just had a, a, a story up on, um, on the website um, about Steve Bannon, and it went over, like, why the left hates him, and, like, because you can tell who the left fears by, based on who they attack, in, you know, in different Republican races, you can tell who they fear the most by who they attack the most. And um, yeah, that's, that's why we went with Mitt Romney, because they didn't seem yeah. to attack him. They didn't fear him because they knew Obama could beat him. And he did. You know? And this time, uh, or right now, we're witnessing like, horrible um, attacks on Steve Bannon, calling him you know, like a white supremacist and, and a racist and anti, uh, anti-Semitic and all of this stuff. And uh, there's nothing really in his past that's, like, concrete. Like, the guy says, I hate Jews. He's never really said that. Um, they just say that Breitbart.com is a really bad website. And, you know, it's, it's uh, the home of the alt-right. And we all know that the alt-right are all white supremacists or something. Then, but I think the reason they really fear Bannon is because he knows how to use new media. Um, you know, Bannon worked with hand-in-hand with Andrew Breitbart. And, I mean, those two were... Uh, they worked on the Drudge Report way back in the day. Like, they helped get Matt Drudge's shit up and running. They helped get um, uh, the Huffington Post started. And and then, obviously, Breitbart started his own his own website. But these Steve Bannon is a guy who knows new media, and that is dangerous to those who wish to just keep everything the same. They're losing power to people like Steve Bannon, and they hate the fact that he has the ear of the President of the United States. Um, so... Now that we're talking about Trump, what um, what so far have you, are you thinking about Trump? Why do you, do you like what he's doing, dislike it? Um, how do you feel about Trump so far? I was so anti-Trump. I was like the definition of a never-Trump type of guy. Um, I did not vote for him. But because I want to see our country get on a better track because we know what a failed presidency looks like. I've given him the benefit of the doubt and, you know, this past couple weeks, I've been impressed. I like to be proven wrong when it means that, you know, we're not at war or the streets are on fire, except if, you know, you're at UC Berkeley or something. But, um, you know, he, uh, putting Rick Perry with the EPA, Scott Pruitt, I'm sorry, uh, Scott Pruitt at EPA, Rick Perry at the Department of Energy, Betsy DeVos with you know, the Department of Education, so many others like Mick Mulvaney handling the budget. Um, Neil Gorsuch is the Supreme Court nominee. I mean, man, I, uh, I'm i digging this right now. I'm digging this. <laughs> so you're pleasantly I mean, I, I got, surprised. I got to be honest. I'm pleasantly yeah. surprised because, I mean, look what we – I'm comparing it to the bullet that we dodged. I mean, I was so happy. I did not vote for Trump, but I was happy that Hillary lost. Because we have a, a snapshot of the bullet that we dodged. And, I mean, for, like, EPA, she, won't, she was just like, put a random black person there and uh, we'll be good. I'll still be calling the shots. Um, I mean, Trump is putting in position, positions of power people that hate the agencies that they're going to be in charge of. That's perfect. 
Do you think I that's, mean, I haven't seen it. that's might mean that their ability to lead that agency um, is kind of worsened because the people they're giving orders to, they already have a bad rel- It's like a you know an employer and an employee. The people that are working at like let's say the Department of Energy, they're not. I don't know if they're going to really fall in line with Rick Perry's leadership. They don't like him, you know. Yeah. So yeah. They well, they don't really they don't really like anyone. Having worked in Washington D.C., I could tell you this: they're thousands and thousands of bureaucrats and federal employees that really don't care who's in charge. They will literally toe the line of anyone that's there and, you know, be a, be a good little yes man, because what we have on the left, or we, we do have zealots. We do have people that get in these positions that work for these agencies because ultimately they have, um, they have a very Marxist revolutionary mindset but for the most part, there are a lot of people that are just like, um, okay, who's who's in charge now? Uh, okay, ch- time to change my thinking to be like that dude because I want a promotion. And uh, maybe he'll send me on a nice EPA-sponsored vacation to Vegas or something. I mean, I, I don't give them that much credit because they haven't really earned any more credit than that. I mean, they'll they'll continue to do their jobs. And, you know, what we saw with Rick Perry, the guy that wanted to eliminate the the Department of Energy, was as soon as he was at his Senate confirmation hearing, he was like, well, you know, maybe we need to slow down on that. No one wants to just walk into the building and, like, tear the whole thing down immediately. They have a specific job that they're going to do, their mindset going into it. And this is just an assumption. It's just me thinking this. But their assumption is I have a mission. I'm going to do everything that's stated here. And everything that's not stated in my mandate, I'm going to get rid of. And for the things I have to do, I'm going to do it as cheaply, as effectively, and as legally as possible without you know, passing all these crazy red tape and regulations that we saw with Obama. So I don't think we're going to see this radical just you know, tear down the walls, fire everybody that, you know, like I originally wanted, but it's um, you know, sp- looking at things pragmatically, the way that Washington does work, just the way that government does work. Um, I-, I think things are going to slowly, slowly, but surely get better. I certainly hope so. What do you? Yeah. Um, what are your? What's your ta- your thoughts on um, Trump and the deficit? He talks a lot about cutting taxes, which I love, but he also mm-hmm. talks about giant infrastructure spending plans and you know beefing up the military more and more and more so that no one in the world will ever mess with us. Is that like you know like a big problem and one that um, I try to highlight literally on every episode of of my podcast, with the exception of this one, of course. Um, I list what the U.S. debt is for that day, and, and it just keeps going up and up and up. Trump, to me, doesn't seem to represent anything that would be restrained um, on our fiscal issues. Well, yeah, I mean, he's not a conservative. <laughs> well, no, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's as uh, yeah, he, he's as Eric Erickson called him. He's a New Deal Republican. He thinks the problem with government is that it's just not run by the right people. And, um, you know, re- recently I bought a nook like e-reader because yeah. with my dorm, I've got like stacks and stacks of books and stuff, but I, uh, I got my nook and I bought a e-copy of Matt Kibbe's who I used to work for. I bought a copy of a hostile takeover and I was rereading it on my e-reader. And the, the thing that he brings up, and this was written a few, Oh, you know, a little while back, but he brings that up. I mean, that was, that's how Romney was. 
as Romney was uh, running for the GOP nomination, his biggest thing was, you know, we just need the right people in there because of his work in Bain Capital. He was like, you know, we're just going to bring in all these really smart people in and they're going to go ahead and look at things. And because they're smart, and because they're successful, things will be run better with conservatives. You know, a lot of them, they don't necessarily and I'm not actually let, let me rephrase this. It's not that they don't care about the Constitution, but they have this. um this love for order and efficiency. And as long as things look like they're succeeding, it doesn't matter whether or not they hate the premise or not. If something looks like it could be done, if something looks like it could be done in a good way and the, you know, the home team can take the credit, they're okay with it. Um, Republicans, as we saw at the Bush administration, they're hardly fiscally conservative. Republicans love to drive up deficits. We saw it in the 90s when they were willing to give Clinton whatever he wanted when they took control under Gingrich and they had the contract with America. So, um, you know, this is not this is nothing new for Republicans to uh, want to spend this type of money. I mean, what we need to remember is that progressivism started it. You know, it's baby daddy was Teddy Roosevelt. Someone who a lot of Republicans still love right now. He created it. It wasn't the Democrats. Democrats were always status. I mean, they they thought that people were property and women couldn't read. And, you know, it's good to kill people in the womb before they even have an opportunity to live life. I mean, Democrats are always status, but it doesn't mean that Republicans thought that, you know, consistently limited government and the constitutional boundaries of our Democratic Republic were good. It's all about getting the right guy in charge. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's, that's, I guess, why I didn't vote for Trump either. So you you and I are, I, I'll, I just didn't vote. I think I just... Uh, <laughs> that works. It, it worked out because, you know, because Ron Johnson was, you know, still elected. He's the senator from Wisconsin. And then Trump actually won Wisconsin, which no one saw coming, um, including myself. I was that like, I didn't even mind. vote. And this happens like, damn it, I missed out on participating in a historic election. But um, <laughs> uh, you, you took a nice, a quick jab at uh, abortion. As a libertarian, where do you fall on abortion? It's a lot of people think that all libertarians are pro-choice, which isn't the case. Um, you know, just look at there's differences of opinion. Where do you fall on that? I'm guessing you're pro-life. But how would you make that argument as a libertarian? Um, some of the key principles for liberty are don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. And much like the courts used to say that African-Americans were not human beings, uh, calling a, a child a fetus or a clump of cells is the exact same argument. And if we're going to say that we shall not aggress on other people, I consider, you know, fetuses, babies, Mm -hmm. clump of cells, whatever you want to call them. I consider them people because ultimately what is the end state? The end state is they come out and they cry and they end up growing and they talk and then they pay taxes and then they die. So ultimately, and that's a very secular argument. I don't even bring up my religious views on it, but I mean, it, it's just, it's just simple. Sure. Would, what uh, happens when you have an abortion? What happens when you have an abortion? You're killing somebody. It, you can't go around it. What you're doing is you're ending a life before it can begin. And then progressives and even a lot of Republicans, uh, even a lot of Republicans, they bring up, well, it doesn't have a heartbeat yet. Look at this, man. What is the end state? What is happening in front of you? What is happening inside that woman? She's creating life. Yeah, but so isn't her, because isn't her yeah. body her property? That's that's the the her, common yeah, you know is that the, the woman has yeah. the right to do what she wants with her body. So, 
if uh, someone is trespassing. It's her body, but is, I, I don't consider. Okay, here, here's the biggest thing. Yeah, the, the when you look at the number of rapes in the country, it's astronomically low. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but if you look at the pregnancies caused by rape, the numbers show that it rarely occurs. And most of those women choose to end up actually keeping their child because they understand that it is a separate life. It's your body. But, you know, most of the time, it's just that people, they go and get an abortion because they didn't get a condom or because they didn't take plan B or because they weren't on the pill or because they didn't go get something stuck up them. Most of the time, it's user error. It takes two to tango. So last I checked, a baby, which is inside of a woman's body before it's born, that is a separate entity. That's not your body. Because ultimately, if that was the case, wouldn't the woman be dying as well? I mean, it, it just never made any sense to me. Sure. Even before I became a very, you know, I, I became a practicing Christian because I was not always this way. I mean, I wasn't um, secular, but I was not necessarily a, the Bible thumper I am now. But I mean, it, it just it just never made sense to me. Right. No, I'm um, let me let me throw this at you. Um, the woman's I'll, I will concede. And by the way, I'm I'm pro-life myself. But this is a, a, a fun argument that I've heard. It's a really interesting one that I hadn't heard before. A woman, I'm going to get uh, so many people calling me from my pro-life friends who are in organizations. And they're like, Remso, you screwed up that number and you didn't bring up that court case. And, yeah, let's let's do this. Um, so <laughs> we agree that the woman, um, her body is hers and that the child inside of her is a separate being. They are two separate beings. They both have rights. Because the woman's body is her property... Um, mm-hmm. does she have the right to evict someone from her property? Or, in a hypothetical situation, if there is someone uh, that's uh, in my house, and I know that if I kick them out of my house, they're just going to go onto the street and die, do I still have the right to kick them out of my house? Well, human beings aren't property. And there is a relationship that we have been attacking, and it's the family. Primarily, it's the relationship between the mother and a child. We try and dehumanize the child by calling it a fetus or a clump of cells, and we take it back to these very animalistic terms like, you know, it's no different than the house. No, it is a body. There is a sacred, sacramental, uh, you know, occurrence happening. This woman is about to give birth to life. It's not just a thing. It's her child. I think a lot of libertarians, and this is where, you know, on cultural issues, a lot of them will email me and text me and call me and call me lots of names and stuff. But here's the thing. There, there is such a thing as absolute truth, and it's that life is valuable. Each person is created and designed by their creator regardless of their circumstances. And just because you are brought into the world through a negative way does not be, mean that your outcome is absolutely worthless. We all serve a purpose. And a woman, yeah, if, if someone breaks into her house, I hope she's carrying a shotgun and she gets that dude right between the eyes because that would be awesome to videotape. But, you know, it, it's completely different when you're talking about a child. And, you know, I, I know that it was uh, Dr. Walter Block that, came up with the term evictionism, but it's just abortion by another name. It's just murder by another gain. Okay. So that's just, that's just the way you see it is that, um, me, uh, evicting someone from my house is different than a woman evicting someone from her body. Yeah. Because the person coming into your house uninvited, who's probably going to steal from you or hurt you and your family. Well, even if they were, even if they were invited, like, let's say I, I helped out of a friend that I knew and, uh, he stayed at my house for a while. And eventually I said, dude, like you gotta go. And but I knew that if he leaves the house, he's going to probably die. Um, 
So, you know, do I have the right to um, kick him out? Yeah, I'd say, I, yeah, I do have a right to kick him out, but I don't have the right to kill him afterwards. Um, the same way the woman I, can, I, I think the woman can take the baby out of her body, but she shouldn't decide whether it lives or dies afterwards. And that child is entitled to medical care. Yeah. I, I think we're comparing apples to oranges. I mean, I, we, we can get down the rabbit trail with this, but I mean, my, my fundamental belief is this, um, you know, a lot of people, you, you want to know what the common rebuttal I get from a lot of leftists is it's, um, well, if you outlaw abortion, there's still going to be abortions. Is that right? True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly going to happen. Look at places like, um, you know, there are certain countries in South America where abortion is illegal. And um, do, do you know that page, People of New York? Uh, I know Facebook? people of Walmart, but I don't know people of New York. <laughs> Go check out People of New York. What this guy does is he goes on the streets of New York and he photographs people and he takes a snapshot of their life. And I mean, you learn amazing things. I mean, you all look at the beauty of humanity. Go look at that. But recently he started going abroad. Like he actually went to the Middle East and uh, looked at the lives of refugees. And he uh, now he's in South America and I think he's been to Asia. But I mean, he went to this one South American country recently where abortion is banned. And he talked to this girl that literally took a coat hanger and um, gave herself an abortion. I mean, we we need to understand that outlawing abortion is not the end all be all what we need to do, especially as libertarians, I think we need to promote a culture of life. That's why I liked about Austin Peterson. We, we need to, um, you know, promote the ideas of adoption. We need to promote the ideas of, um, you know, community congregations, churches, other organizations coming together and trying to take care of the least amongst us voluntarily together without government force. And I mean, Republicans, this is shine of this issue. You know, um, why is birth control not over the counter? Why are so many other, um, you know, contraceptives and other means of um, birth control? Why, why, why aren't they available? Why are they not? Because you know, of government X, rules. Y, if you want, <laughs> exactly. The government is the, you know, the government is why we have abortions because people they either can't afford it because you know the lobbies want to keep it, ex, you know, expensive or something else. I mean, if Republicans want a time to shine on this issue, and show that they're pro-life. You know, con- contraceptives. That's completely different from abortion. Right, right. I mean, well, right, because you're stop, pre- you're preventing yeah. it from actually becoming a person, right? Before it's yeah, just te- I mean, sperm it's a, and it's egg. a technical foul. So exactly. Right. So if we want to promote a culture of life, we need to understand that you know there are ways that we could prevent something like this from happening. Yeah, definitely. So and that, one of those ways is it. just having less government in the first place. I mean, it would be more. You know, people would have better access to these contraceptives, and we wouldn't have as many abortions. Let me run because we're already talking about abortion. I want to run another one past you. So Bring it. Um, women and their uh, unborn babies both have uh, equal rights as human beings. Um, if someone were to kill the mother, that person would go to jail. Should the woman go to jail for killing her baby? Uh, shouldn't they not have equal protection under the law, which would mean kind of equal punishments? If you kill a person that's full grown, you go to jail. But if you kill a fetus, you don't. Um, but a lot of conservatives will say, yes, I am pro-life, uh, but we shouldn't jail the mother. Should we? And if we don't, are we then saying that really the mother and the unborn child don't have equal rights because, you know, their, their lives are both, you know, they're, they're not being, you know, people aren't being punished the same for the same action. I want to say yes, but there are parts of me that say no because I have actually... Th- asked myself this question before and um 
I think if we promoted a culture of life, and I know this is a cop-out, Tim, so I apologize, but I think if we just promoted a culture of life to begin with, that won't have to be a scenario that we ever come to because that's that's extremely dicey. That's extremely dicey because as of right now, we live in a postmodern world where even a lot of Christians, a lot of conservatives, a lot of you know, libertarians of a biblical worldview like myself, they they buy into this uh, Marxist materialist secular concept that uh, has caused this issue to get to where it is. So, you know, I, I won't say I have an opinion, but, you know, there, there do need to be consequences because ultimately, I mean, if a guy were to run over a pregnant woman, he's counted with two acts of murder. Mm-hmm. So using that argument, why wouldn't it go with what you said? Why wouldn't we put a woman in jail for doing that? Um, you know, it's just, it's so complicated with questions like that. And they're important to ask because what they do is you have to deconstruct your argument in order to get to where you want to go. I think by promoting a culture of life and preventing that from ever being something that society has to ask itself, I think that's how we're going to save more lives. Yeah. That said, do you think we we're actually, imagine. do you think we're actually moving in that direction? You know, cause a lot of people would say, well, you know, it's good that we have Trump in, but you know, we're still in, on the wrong course, you know, especially with, you know, I mean, you look at college campuses, yours being the exception, but these are the people that are coming up the ranks. These are the people that are going to be running for office, and there aren't enough Remzos to take on all of the whack job leftists that are coming out of uh, public universities. Are we on the right path? Is America moving in the right direction? I'd like to say so. Because how on earth did so many, so many Republicans just take control of their state and state and local governments now? And I, I brought that up to somebody recently, and they're like, well, it's only the old white people that voted. No. No. You look at the numbers. You go to Red Alert Politics, and they actually do a giant breakdown based off their uh, Rasmussen data and everything else. Millennials overwhelmingly came out in support of Trump. And it's not that they would have otherwise uh, gone for Hillary or Bernie because, I mean, th- that's that's just a, another situation that we could potentially look at, but we'll never know because it didn't happen. But the thing is they didn't mobilize for Hillary. They mobilized for Trump. And, you know, regardless of your opinion for Trump, that's just what happened. Um, I was working for a, for a congressional race, and this was the first time I had worked for a Republican before. I liked this guy. I felt like he had a good message and he had uh, understanding of natural rights and a respect for order and liberty and uh, individual human potential. And working with the Republicans, I saw that, you know, you had blacks, you had Hispanics, you had women, you had Asians, you had young people, you had old people. You had a lot of people that were just like, man, I'm so sick of this progressive bullshit that we're trying to get fed. And, um, you know, I don't think that a lot of these new Republicans coming in are uh, necessarily conservative. Certainly, I'm not conservative, but I saw a lot of people that were voting for Trump, but they didn't vote for my candidate because they wanted, uh, you know, they wanted a progressive guy. And they thought that Trump was more progressive than Clinton in some cases. So have it as you will. But overwhelmingly, I think that, um, you know, as we go into the world, yeah, they're, they're probably a lot more liberals, but as we saw at UC Berkeley, there are also a lot of useless people. And with conservatives and libertarians, we have a drive to innovate. We have a drive to be entrepreneurs. We have a drive to reform. But I just don't think the left has. There just aren't many um, 
many really devout Marxists, unless you go to like George Mason University, and I've got an entire story about that. Um, you know, it's just that their entire worldview, their entire political philosophy is based off lies. It's based off violence. It's based off uh, rationalism and racism and sexism and all these other isms. I mean, it, there's just nothing to keep it afloat. It's such a, it's such a BS philosophy that people that believe it, people that call themselves progressives, I mean, it's just they, they can't go up against reality. They can't go up against anything. I mean, it's just, it, it can't go anywhere past where it is. And I mean, Obama's gone. He's never coming back. We might see another terrible version of him pop up soon, but we have an opportunity to do amazing things now. We should take advantage of it and push for it and show people that, you know, freedom works, life matters. You as an individual can believe whatever you want, but as long as we don't transgress and coerce and force others to believe a certain way, that's the best way to live. Yeah, I think that um, really, um, I don't even call myself a libertarian, but I think that libertarians do have the best ideas. It's just like, I don't yeah. know, how, how many how many examples of government failure can can people take before they realize that it doesn't work? So it is, I think everything really is on, you know, on our side as far as what policies are good and which ones aren't. Um, you know, the sad thing, I think, is that not enough people um, listen to your podcast and uh, understand really like the the guts of the issues and um, the real awesome philosophy that's behind libertarianism. I mean, it's not just, oh, I'm, I like Ron Paul. Like, yeah, Ron Paul's great. I'll, you know, no, I don't disagree, but can we talk about Mises? Can we talk about Hayek? Can we talk about Rothbard? Um, can we talk, you know, can we talk about the founders? Um, can we talk about John Locke? And those are issues and, and topics that people, I think, unfortunately aren't really all that interested in and um i mean i i feel myself like we're kind of moving in the wrong direction that um some conservatives are happy and they think that we're moving in a better direction but i think ultimately this we we may be uh we're going like 70 miles off a 70 miles an hour uh, off a cliff and now we've gone to 65 and they're like oh yeah awesome yeah yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest difference, differences in mentality between a conservative and a libertarian is I think that conservatives love to settle because they don't expect much, and libertarians will never be happy of how things are. And That's, even when we get to the point where we are in our libertarian utopia, we'll still never be happy. No. Well, that's one thing that people need to kind of accept. Life isn't, you have to work to put a smile on. Yeah. Yeah. It takes effort. Definitely. All right. Well, Ramzo, it's been a, a real blast hanging out. Um, I uh, thank you greatly for coming on the podcast. I look forward to being on yours as well. Where can people Definitely, find man. more of your work if they're uh, if they're curious? Guys, you can go ahead and just go to their website, www.remsorepublic.com. Hit the podcast tab, and you can see all the platforms and networks we're on. We're on all your major media players, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, um, we're additionally on Player FM and Liberty.me Studio and AHA Radio by Harmon. And soon we'll be um, moving to a new Boston affiliate out in Massachusetts. So that's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, you can also go ahead and find me on Twitter at Ramso101. Ryan, uh, follow as well. He's just at Liberty Producer. And, you know, the same old gimmick. You can find me on Facebook at Ramso W. Martinez. Awesome. Well, like I said, it was good hanging out. Uh, we're going to stop the broadcast right now, but uh, Remzo, if you want to chat for a few minutes afterwards, then we'll do that. Yeah, totally, man. Awesome. Everyone out there, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Good night.
up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com.